I'm here. I'm here. I arrived. I made it. It was, it was touch and go for a few moments, I have to say. Um, I have a few words to say, unsurprisingly, to start. These are conundrum, consternation, concatenate, constitutionalize, spanner, and botany. That's a test. Um, I fell off those stairs at the back of the stage this morning and uh, hit my head quite hard. So if I start reeling off lists of random words, would somebody do what they do in the Oscars and just come up slowly to the side of the stage and suggest it's time for me to finish? I blame the preaching shirt. Let's, let, let's call a spade a spade. This is what this is. I only wear a shirt to work or when I'm preaching. And I put this on this morning and it was like painting a target on my back, clearly. <laughs> preaching is dangerous work. <laughs> that wasn't cheating, by the way, um, for those who know. Right. First slide, are we up? Splendid. Is that the actual... Um, can you just test that if you click through, it will go to the next? Excellent. Grant, you can go back. Thanks. Brian um, is my clicker this morning. Um, exactly. Well done, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> so when I, when I do this, this is Brian clicking. Okay. If Brian, if Brian misses my click, will someone just wave at him and shout click or something? Perhaps I should say click partway through as well. Although you may think the... Um, Hit on the head is causing me some damage. If, also, if I wander too far to the left and to the right, will you just, somebody shout at me if they start seeing me topple? That would be helpful. You can be my stage guides. Um, I'm going to move some of this out of the way. This is my wife's stuff. Um, she likes to take up lots of space. This is Sarah's stuff. She likes to take up some space too. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, I just did blow my nose quickly. Kate, Kate just prayed for me and it blew me away. Thank you, Kate. I needed to hear that. Really did. Um, the other Kate prayed for me as well. I'm sure there are more than two Kates in this church. The two Kates there prayed for me this morning. I needed to hear both. Prayed that the head injury wouldn't do me much harm. And um, Kate Stevens prayed that I would have confidence and um, feel ready for this morning. And bring to you what I have to say, which is good. So, enough preamble and prologue. Are you actually ready for what I have to say? Yeah. Good, good. Okay, yeah, quite. Get on with it. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. I should say the same to you in our chess game, really, shouldn't I? Yeah. Just, just make the finishing move, would you? It's just what I needed this week to lose the chess. <sighs> right. Okay, as you can see from behind me, uh, we're going to well, be looking at Luke 6, uh, 17 to 49. It's quite a large passage of scripture we're going to go through this morning. Um, so you'll need to bear with me at times when I read through it. Um, but I think the flow that the whole piece creates is quite important. So um, I think it's important that you bear with me. Um, I'm going to start just by saying a few things before we get into the, into the actual word. We are part of a free church, aren't we? 
And that's good, isn't it? Well, I believe it is. That's why I've been here for almost 30 years. The freedom we enjoy here means that we can be ourselves. Click. Yes. We can be individual and non-conformist. We don't have to fit or adhere. If people don't like what we say or what we do, well, then that's their problem, isn't it? Since I was just being myself, and if they knew my heart and that it was in the right place, they'd know that what I did or what I said was okay, right? There's some hmm. There was some yeses earlier on and then some hmm. That's good. I've started by being thought-provoking. Excellent. (laughs) You see, Jesus' teaching is quite clear on the subject. And I'm going to start with the passage at the end of Luke 6 and then bring us back around. And you'll see why in a minute. So, we're going to look first at verses 43 to 45. You're welcome to turn there with me on your phones, on your iPads, on your other mobile devices. If I catch any of you playing Candy Crush, I will kick off. And I know, I know, I know the Candy Crush face you see. Because Claire's had it a few times. When I ask her something. Nothing. So I will know. Right. Verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So, yeah, your heart is in the right place. It's in the center of your body, pumping blood around to keep you alive. But is the fruit that your heart is producing good to those who taste it? Or are people around you trying, um, finding that they are trying to pick a fig from a thorn bush? Producing good fruit is not just good because it's good. It is the fulfillment of God's design of us as his sons and daughters. You see, like, Some people's only taste of the kingdom is us. So we better make sure that we taste good when they taste us. Okay. That's my opening gambit out of the way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Will you turn with me then to the start of the chapter, uh, not chapter, to where I'm preaching from, uh, verse 17. I'm just going to read through um, and then I'll take it from there. As I say, this is a little bit lengthy, but I think you should bear with me. Starting in verse 17, blessings and woes. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and from Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured. 
and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. I think Pete, when he touched, um, when he spoke on Luke 6 last, focused on God's power and his healing. So I'm not going to focus much on those verses, but they're important as a, a little preamble. As I'm sure Pete said, Jesus gathered by healing, healing their diseases. People reached out to him to be touched, and then he spoke. He gathered, he healed, and then he spoke. I just want to emphasize very quickly and briefly the importance of healing. It's good. It's good. We heard some fantastic testimonies this morning as well. I have hay fever, so um, afterwards I'm just going to get some people to pray for me because I don't want it anymore. I don't want it. And it's been, I've had it for, I don't know, maybe 14, 15 years. It's got worse progressively. One year I had an injection in my bum. It didn't even work. I mean, come on. That's not fair, is it? So, um, yeah, I've had enough. So I'm going to get some of you to pray for me afterwards, if that's all right. Um, right, anyway, onwards. Um, verse 20. Once he'd gathered them. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Take a short pause there. I, 
having heard that bit before, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, poured into your lap. I kind of knew what it meant, but I also didn't know what it meant. And having looked it up, in Jewish times, when they were in markets buying and selling, um, to measure out um, the seed or grain or whatever it is they were selling, they would have um, a measuring pot, however much they were selling, and they would pour it in, shake it together. You know, when you shake something, it filters down, it gets lower, and they would press it down, and then they would add more. And they would continue that process until you got what you were paying for. And then the tunic that they wore, when you sat down, it would create a little pocket, a useful pocket, and then that would be poured into your lap. And that's what that's referring to you, right there. And I just thought I'd add that. I found it really helpful to understand the imagery that it's talking about there. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. When you fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And the last section. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The scriptures that I've just read through, I think, fit nicely into three sections. So that's how I'm going to split it up this morning. As I said, I'm going to skip over verses 17 to 19 and start in verse 20. Um, And verses 20 to 26 describe something to do with our relationship with God. It talks about blessings and woes. And it says, looking at his disciples, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, etc. Rejoice in that day, because great is your reward in heaven. And then woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort, etc. Now, do we think this passage of scripture is speaking literally or figuratively? For my own sake, click. I hope it's speaking figuratively. Because by the world standards, I am rich. I am well fed. I laugh. And certainly some, not all, speak very well of me. 
my net annual salary puts me in the top 1.2% of richest people in the world. 1.2%. And I don't earn a massive amount. That makes me the 72 millionth, 252,000th and 493rd richest person in the world. If you want to know where you sit, you can go to globalrichlist.net and just put in your net income and it tells you. I would guarantee the majority of us would be in the top 3%. Seriously. Even the national minimum wage is in the top 3 to 5%. That is astonishing. It certainly puts things in perspective and can make those verses seem quite a worry. Woe to us. However, Matthew Henry, who was a 17th and 18th century minister and author, who, I'm reliably informed by Wikipedia, was highly recommended by George Whitfield and Charles Spurgeon. If you need to know who they're recommended by, (laughs) we haven't got enough time this morning. Anyway, Matthew Henry wrote a commentary on the entire Bible, all of it. It's pretty good as well. Uh, He's probably best known for his quote about men and women. Um, So you may not know his name, but you would know this quote. He says, The woman was made out of the rib of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Most of you would know that quote, I think. That's from Matthew Henry, from his commentary on Genesis. Anyway, regarding this passage, Henry says... It is the folly of carnal worldlings that they make the things of this world their consolation, which were only intended for their convenience. They make the things of this world their consolation, which were only intended for their convenience. They please themselves with them, pride themselves in them, and make make them their heaven upon earth. And to them the consolations of God are small and of no account. Click. The key question here is, no matter how much worldly wealth we have, and we have a lot, we do, are we satisfied with what we have on this earth? Or are we looking beyond it to what heaven has in its storehouse? Click. Which, by the way, It's free for us to raid now. Heaven's storehouse is free for us to raid now. Can you imagine having this in your house? But we do. That's the point. Free for us to take. And the good news is, in fact, the unfathomable truth of God's kingdom is that we get to do that regardless of the fruit that we're producing. Because that's God's grace. Thank God. I mean, look at it all. I think there might even be a little bit of whiskey in the back. I can't quite see. Sorry. Easily lost. If, like me, you breathed a huge sigh of relief after hearing that quote from Henry that suggests that passage of Scripture is figurative rather than literal, does that mean you can now switch off and start playing Candy Crush? To quote Paul, by no means. As the next passage of scripture makes explicitly clear, there is a stark challenge 
as to what we do with ourselves in this life to what we do with our wealth as well the second section click ah yeah yeah see I won you back from Candy Crush with a cat hugging a puppy Verse 27. That's it. That's all I got. <clears throat> if I can't capture you with that, I'm, you know, I've not got much hope really, have I? But I tell you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Fruit proves parentage. And that's key. Because when people taste of us, they need to know who our father is. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap, into your tunic. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, the earlier section, I've suggested Jesus was speaking figuratively. Here, do we think Jesus is speaking literally or figuratively? I would suggest, given Jesus' approach to being crucified, and therefore the example he literally laid down for us, I think he's speaking pretty literally. Click. But I would make the following point with my helpful friend Batman. Regarding the strike on the cheek, in Jewish times, a strike on the cheek, which was usually made with the back of somebody's hand, was considered the most severe of insults. If you really wanted to insult somebody, it wasn't about the strength with it you hit them, but the manner in which you did it. Often it was done in synagogues when people felt somebody wasn't preaching something properly. And you can look to see... I've had enough head trauma this morning. Thank you very much. But if you do disagree with what I had to say, you can just do this at the end of the sermon. And you can look in Acts to see the number of times that um, Jesus' apostles were beaten and thrown out of the church, out of the synagogue, rather. So it is to do with a severe insult. And as a result, I believe that Jesus is referring to not retaliating when you feel insulted. It's not about letting somebody beat you up. It's about not retaliating when you feel insulted, which we all get quite frequently, if you're anything like me. 
The insult could be a minor thing, or it could be the severe way that Jesus refers to. But the context here is relationship. Jesus is not talking about failing to resist evil. Instead, the good fruit he speaks of is learning to resent no insult. We move on to verse 31, and we get what's known as the golden rule. Do to others as you would have done to you. Here, Jesus took a well-known Jewish adage, that of don't do to someone else something that you would not like to have done to you, which is a negative phrase, phrase in the negative, and he turns it positive. This shift means the difference between not just between not driving faster than the speed limit and letting someone out at a junction. We've had some fantastic stories about road incidents earlier, which was encouraging for me. Click. It's the difference between... (laughs) Click. Oh no, go back one. Anyone again? Oh. That's the one I want. Thank you. Yeah. Now, hold on. I've lost my place. Go back one. And again. There we are. Yeah, it's there. It's the difference between following the motoring laws and stopping on the hard shoulder to help a stranded motorist. When you encounter situations like that, it should be making you think, what would I want someone to do for me if I were them? And not just make you think, but make you do something. Love is more than a concept. It has legs. It turns up, and like an Andrex puppy, it licks you in the face. Click. When combined with Jesus' words and his commands in verses 37 and 38, it means the difference between not just opposing abortions, but helping to raise the child of someone who has refused to have one. More than that, it means continuing to unconditionally love those who choose to have an abortion. I heard a quote recently that just blew me away, which I believe is from Faith Blatchford. You see, Jesus Jesus isn't outside the abortion clinic protesting loudly with the protesters. He's inside with the mother holding the baby. What credit is it to us if we just protest against the things that we disagree with? Even the worst of sinners do that. We are called to surpass the world standard of love. And not just surpass it, blow it out of the water like a nuclear bomb being tested in the ocean. That is the sort of love we are called to. I was thinking recently about how judgmental I am, personally. I was thinking, I think I'm pretty good. I don't think I judge people that much. And then God did what he sometimes does. Often through Claire. But this time he pointed it out nicely to me. And he reminded what I'm like when I get behind the wheel of a car. Click. 
Yeah. I'm sure it's just me. I'm sure it's just me. Someone tell me it's not just me, please. (laughs) But when I get behind the wheel, I am the most unforgiving and unmerciful person I have ever met. Oh, that's you, is it? Sorry. Okay. It's not a competition. Come on. Um, I spend quite a lot of time in my car. I drive to and from Canterbury every day, to and from work. And um, there are a number of things that I have been guilty of over the years when I look like that. Fortunately, for the most part, I'm in the car by myself. Kind of. Jesus is sat in the passenger seat. (laughs) Sometimes I swear at people with my mouth and with my hands. Yeah. I know. Sometimes, when somebody pulls out on me, I drive really close behind them, just so they really definitely know that they almost caused an accident. (laughs) The irony, of course, being that in doing so, I myself nearly caused an accident. But you don't see that at the time, do you? But my personal favourite is the slow shake of the head. So when that person looks in their rearview mirror, they know that you've judged them. (laughs) They know that they've done wrong. But the great thing is, when you do that, you can keep the high ground, can't you? Because you didn't swear at them. You didn't drive really close to them. And I can pass judgment on the clearly inferior being. (laughs) Was that the first amen I got this morning? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, You might need some prayer. Yeah, I do as well, yeah. I'm preaching this message to myself. (laughs) The scriptures are explicitly clear. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Does that mean that we should suspend all moral judgment? By no means. And helpfully, click, the next section of Luke 6 answers that very clearly. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. How can you make a decision as to whether a leader is bearing good fruit without some prior assessment? In addition, Jesus then says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to help your brother take the speck out of his. We are still expected to help our brothers and sisters remove specks from their eyes. It's just that God says we should make sure there isn't a plank in our own eye because those are going to do a terrible job of it, and they're not going to appreciate it at all. As a slight side note, I suspect that if you can demonstrate it's possible to remove a plank from your own eye, those around you will be pretty encouraged about dealing with the specks in their own lives. And if that wasn't enough to convince us that moral judgment should not be suspended, Jesus goes on to talk about a tree and its fruit. 
which is where we started this morning. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Jesus calls us to recognize each tree by the fruit that it produces and then to pick good fruit from good trees. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Click. You and I speak from the overflow of what we have stored up in our hearts. It is what we build up, what we take in, and what we let start to overflow. That's what comes out. Now, if you're looking at your own life right now and thinking, some of the things that I say and some of the things that I do don't taste very good sometimes. And I think we'd all be in that camp. We may, as a result, need to start questioning the things that we are putting in, that we are storing up. Because it may have gone in a little while ago, and you may have built up some stuff that goes on top, some good stuff. But once that stuff is exhausted, guess what comes out? When you are at your limit, when you are stressed to the point that you cannot take anymore, guess what you've got left at that point? Sometimes it looks like this. And other times, it looks like an unfortunate expletive in your car. So I issue that challenge as much to myself as I do to you. To start examining the things that we are storing up in our lives. And not just the stuff that covers up the stuff that we stored up, but that stuff that's down at the bottom as well. So what do we need to do to address some of the things that we've got stored up? What does a tree need to bear good fruit? Some of it is to do with what we do, and some of it is to do with what he does. Click. <clears throat> Part of the key is where we are planted. I'm pretty sure you all know Psalm 1. But I'm going to read it anyway because it is good. <laughs> Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Another part of the key lies in what foundation we build our house on. Jesus says, the person who hears me and does what he says builds his house on the rock. He digs deep, he spends time, and he builds his house on a firm foundation. So when the storm starts brewing and the torrent strikes... He stands firm. She stands firm. She's able to withstand the torrent that strikes. The person who doesn't dig deep, who doesn't build a good foundation, 
when that torrent strikes, that person collapses and that stuff comes out that they hoped wouldn't. To yield fruit in season, we must stand firm. Sorry, to stand firm and deep-rooted when the torrent strikes, we must hear God's words and obey them. And that's the stuff we do. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? It's not just about us. Praise God. As Psalm 1 suggests, the season that we're in will have an effect on the fruit that we produce. Click. So what do we do to change the season that we're in? Do we have control over that? Do we have control over the torrents that face us? I believe we do. I believe Jesus' example in calming the the storm suggests that we do. And part of the key to that is where we remain. John 15 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. It doesn't say he will bear fruit in the season that fruit should be expected. It says he will bear much fruit. Much fruit. It's not a self-limiting verse. It follows it on with saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we have a very clear and easy choice to make about the fruit that we produce. When we hear scriptures saying things like, dig deep, building foundations on the rock, meditating on the Lord day and night, we can be forgiven for thinking that consistently bearing good fruit requires a lot of work from us. But fortunately, it doesn't. As good as digging and meditating is, the thing that really matters when it comes to producing fruit is our connection to him. Remaining in him, being connected to the vine. And that's something that we have complete control of. So when I say, where's your fruit? And you think, sometimes people are taking or trying to take a fig from a thorn bush. The response should be straightforward. It's time to make sure I'm connected to him. I would, as a result this morning, like to spend a bit more time in God's presence. I think that's the appropriate response. So I'm going to ask Claire and the band to come back up. And they're just going to sing a song. And you can sing along. And you can do what needs to be done to get connected. And to start making sure that you're storing up the right stuff. Okay? Thank you.